As a working parent, how do you find the time, energy and patience to positively engage with and offer the right support for your teenager? Well, today I talked to parenting expert Anita Clear, who shares how working parents should try and switch their mindset from work mode to parent mode when dealing with teens and offer some really practical tips for dealing with teen sleep and screen time. Hi, I'm neuroscientist Dr. Ben Webb, sharing brain advice for a mentally healthy and happy life. Welcome to episode 86 of Better Brain, Better You. Before we talk to Anita, I've got something for you. If you tried to connect with your teenager, but found it difficult to resolve their problems and worries, whether it's out of control emotions, too much screen time, disrupted sleep, risky behaviour, or even mental health challenges, then I want to give you a free parenting workshop to help you out. On this workshop, clinical psychologist Dr. Zoe Webb and myself share the four essential strategies that parents can use to meet the needs of their teenager's rapidly developing brain to effectively manage their behaviour and emotions. So you can watch this free workshop at ologyonlinecourses.com forward slash workshop. That's ologyonlinecourses.com forward slash workshop. Okay, let's dive right into a really fascinating conversation packed with lots of practical advice with parenting expert Anita Clear. So welcome to the podcast, Anita. Oh, hi, Ben. It's lovely to be here. Fantastic. Thanks so much for, for joining us today. So you, st- you, sp- you spent a big part of your working life working and designing family support services for local authorities. You've obviously got a lot of experience working with families and supporting young people. So what was the motivation and drive for starting the Positive Parenting Project? Well, I think we have to recognise that the public sector does not have deep pockets and it never will have the resources to be able to reach every single parent. And every single parent, in my opinion, needs good evidence-based parenting advice so that we can make good decisions. Um, And one of the issues I found, so for example, I was involved in the Sure Start um, programme, Children's Centres for the zero to fives. And of course, when we were designing the programmes there, what we found was that well, we're only open kind of nine till five and maybe on a Saturday morning. And why are parents coming to see us? Well, just like me, parents weren't coming to see us because they were at work. So it really struck me that if we want to support parents, we needed to do two things, which was to go to where parents are, which during the day, a lot of parents are at work and try and find ways to fund it that you know were sustainable so we didn't have money coming in and out and services being developed and then you know decommissioned so i came up with a positive parenting project to go into the workplace specifically to support working parents in the workplace and funded by the employers because you know i'm sure you know i certainly know as a working parent when i'm struggling with my teenagers it doesn't just stop when I start work. It's in my head. It comes with me. It affects me on every level. It can be incredibly stressful. So, you know, getting employers to understand that in terms of their, um, their, their, you know, their professional workers being there, being able to dedicate their brain space to, you know, to work, um, you know, reducing their stress levels, looking after them, making sure they stayed 
in the workforce. So, you know, we see lots of women, for example, who leave the workforce or go part time or decelerate their careers because of having children. So thinking about how can we actually support working parents um, from an employer's angle and get them to, to pay for it. And at the same time, be giving really good evidence based parenting advice. So that was what my motivation was for for starting the Positive Parenting Project. Oh, I love that. That's fantastic. So, and so you use a, what we call a sort of positive parenting approach. So, what what is what is positive parenting, and how is that sort of different, let's say, from from other forms of parenting? Well, that's a really good question, and you know, different people would have different answers to that. So, I trained in the the Triple P program, which is. Um, uh, an approach that was developed by the University of Queensland, um, and it's been subjected to rigorous random control trials to show that it actually does work. It makes a difference for parents and it makes a difference for, for children and for teenagers. And the key principles there are really around trying to, number one, have realistic expectations of our children and our teenagers, understanding what they're capable of. So we're not setting them up to fail and us up to fail. Prioritizing relationship building so that you are building a relationship in which you can encourage the behavior, the skills, the values that you want to see. So using positive strategies to try and build skills. So I talk about the difference between being a coach and a policeman. Now, sometimes as a parent, you're always gonna have to be a policeman every now and then, but the more time we can spend with that coach's hat on, really trying to build children's skills and doing that through a good relationship with them, a good understanding of them, the better that is. So positive parenting is about balancing those key criteria of kind of love and warmth plus boundaries, but using positive strategies that, that build skills, that build capacity, but in a realistic way for the age and stage of a child's development where they are right then. Yeah, so that sounds like, so you must have did a lot of work with the, on the mindset of the parents as well, right? Uh, you know, we often think about parenting as about something we do to children or to teenagers, that it's some, yeah. um, you know, the, the way we say it, parenting, it's some verb that we're doing. Actually, parenting to me is more about managing yourself yeah. It's not about managing children. It's about managing how you think about your children so that that influences how you feel about them, managing your approach to, you know, to situations, regulating yourself emotionally so that you can, you know, share that regulation with them rather than being triggered. So, so much of parenting is about managing our mindset. And I think that's particularly true for working parents because, I mean, the fact is most parents now do work, whether that's full-time or part-time you know for the vast majority of their parenting kind of careers they are working at the same time and when we're working we are using an awful lot of what I call efficiency thinking so this is mm -hmm. the the key theme to my book um, that when we work we use this front part of our brain the prefrontal cortex I know you talk about it a lot because it's our executive functions that we're using you know at work it's all about reaching a goal completing tasks, a step of, you know, a set of tasks as quickly, as efficiently, as well as we possibly can. And we're very goal focused. Mm. Now that's brilliant for the workplace. That is fantastic set of skills and that for us to be deploying. However, when it comes to parenting, it's not a very useful 
mindset to be mm. in because whether it's children or teenagers you know I know you talk a lot about brain development for teenagers and we know that part of their brain is not in control it's not fully developed they are not in that same space so when we approach them with our right I've got to get these things done I've got all these things to do you know fall in line kids this is where we're at and then they don't because they are you know chaotic um they aren't planning they are kind of responding to momentary needs we can get very frustrated we can get very triggered we can feel like we're failing because we've not managed to do our sequence of tasks we've not got to bedtime quickly efficiently you know doing all the things we wanted to do and I really find that for working parents we get really stressed by parenting because it kids don't stick to the program you know teenagers especially just do things which you think why would you have done that? That is bizarre. That's ridiculous. And we can get really frustrated and start blaming ourselves because we're not succeeding in our own terms because of that mindset. So mindset to me is incredibly important when it comes to parenting, being in the right mindset for the moment that you're in, whether you're at work, being wholeheartedly in that moment, or whether you're with your children and, and being a parent, being wholehearted and managing to dial up the strengths that you need to, to really be able to respond because kids are inefficient and efficiency thinking, being hyper-efficient doesn't really help parenting, I don't think. No, no. So so this is when you're talking about switching from, and it's the title of the book as well, isn't it? So switching from kind of work mode to parent mode or back from parent mode to, to, to work mode. So do you, in the work that you do, this is a personal question actually more than anything, do you think, do you think, do you think it helps parents to understand about brain development and how that's guiding teenagers' behaviour? In my experience, it helps parents greatly okay. to understand child development at every single stage of their child's lives, and especially for teenagers, because both from a personal perspective, from a um, professional perspective, what I see is a real challenge when, when children switch and they transition towards the teenage years, and that often isn't when they're 13, it might be when they're 11 or you know go to secondary school we need to develop a different set of skills. So, you know, the, the first 10 years is very much about us being in control. And, you know, we are the ones who are setting the agenda. Um, and and it, the, the second decade is about handing over control. You know, we call it independence. Independence is power, really, isn't mm. it? You know, we've got it, we're handing it over. And that process is like, you know, it, it's like geopolitics, you know, sometimes it's nice and smooth and easy and it goes really well. And other times there is a lot of conflict involved. So what I find is that that parents, you know, suddenly witness this change in their children. They become different people and they are doing the same things as a parent but they're not necessarily working. In fact, they're just ending up with a really bad relationship because they're prioritizing principles, which when your child is six, getting across some key principles is really important. Whereas when they're 14, really it's relationship that we need to be prioritizing and we need to be switching towards coaching skills, influencing skills. So if we can help parents understand the teenage brain, it takes the blame out of it. Yeah. You know, when our teenager does ridiculous things, you know, <laughs> immoral things, bad things, things that go against our values or just stupid things, being able to say, this is not the person they're going to be. This is not that I have raised this person who is, is doesn't have any of my values and is doing these things. It is about saying, OK, so this is somebody who at this moment in their lives 
is struggling to balance, you know, sort of impulses against against control and those sorts of things. So it's incredibly useful and liberating for parents when they step away from blame of themselves and they start thinking about what's going on inside my teenager. And when we do that, we become so much better in terms of supporting them through it. And the strategies that we veer towards tend to be much more conducive and much more useful when we're not distributing blame to them or to us. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well said. So what, so you, you mentioned blame there. I see that a lot with the parents that we work with as well. So what would you say are some of the other sort of common traps that working parents fall into and specifically around the challenges they face with dealing with teenagers? I think, you know, it's easy for me to say maintaining relationship is, is a priority, but that isn't mm. always easy to do. You no. know, I've had... Uh, well, three teenage boys go through my house. Um, we've had a, a collection of challenges around neurodiversity, really poor mental health. We've had outstanding achievements and really bad moments. And in those moments when they have withdrawn to their bedroom and you don't feel like anything you say gets through and all you're doing is, is nagging and you're just trying to leap on every moment to remind them about what they should be doing. You know, you shouldn't be gaming, you should be doing your homework. And the relationship starts to deteriorate. Finding ways back with that is really hard. When they, you know, when they lie to you or they, they do something which really destroys trust between you. Finding ways to build bridges when they're trying to push you away, that is a challenge. And it, it takes, I think, a bit of practice. And it's the hardest mm. thing I would say, I have got better and better at parenting teenagers, the more of them I've had. <laughs> and, and, and I wish I had been able to have some of those skills right at the beginning. Um, yeah. Being able to reach out, you know, and go sit in their bedroom or just know when to try and when just to leave it, being able to judge their mood, choose their moment. I had a great conversation with one of my teenagers once about, um, I was writing a blog post on how to get a teenager out of their bedroom. And I thought, you know, really smart, I'll ask the expert, I'll ask my teenager, you <laughs> yeah. know, and I said, well, you know, so sometimes I come into your room and I say, oh, let's do this, let's go walk the dog, let's, let's do whatever, and you're like, no. And other days I come in and you're like, okay, and it works. And, you know, I'm like, well, what's the difference? And he said, well, it just depends what mood I'm in. Mm. And that was just so clear to me that part of what we're trying to do is, is really about nudging, testing, kind of building relationship in those little opportunities that we have. And when you're a busy working parent, of course, the temptation is, you know, you're working all day, you've got an hour off between, you know, work and whatever it is you're doing for the evening and, and all the household stuff that needs doing dinner and laundry. And you're like, right, I've got to do all my parenting now. I've got an hour. All my parenting has to be done. And yeah. of course, if that's not the right moment for your teenager, it yeah. doesn't work. So there's a lot of hanging out and kind of waiting for your moment, trying and then rolling away because now isn't the moment. And I really think that takes quite a lot of security as an individual as a parent not to feel knocked back by that not to feel disheartened not to give up when when they don't want to have anything to do with us um so i think that's also a really important message to get across to parents is keep trying but don't push too hard it's about finding that moment and yeah you've got to be around for quite a few moments that don't succeed to find the one that will 
Absolutely, staying connected, isn't it? I think with them, you know, come hell or high water is the the, the most important thing. I think so. Um, so something that lots of lots of our parents are talking about. I'm hearing lots of it, you know, with teenagers at school that we work with as well. So it's this kind of concept of trying to build resilience in teenagers. It's kind of banded about a lot at the moment. And I know a lot of the teenagers we work, work with are getting a bit fatigued by that. But I just wondered in the work that you do, what, you know, what, so what does resilience mean for you and how, how can you help, how do you help children and teens learn to build resilience? Yeah, I think we sometimes have to be a bit careful with the messages that we give to both parents and teenagers, because we talk about resilience being so valuable. And, yeah. you know, we say to parents, this is one of the most important things you can do. And when they look at their child or teenager, and perhaps they're not acting in a resilient way, again, we can get into that, well, what have I done wrong? I need to do something differently. I think encouraging teenagers and parents to look for the positives, for being mm -hmm. able to say, yep, yeah, you know what? today's the hard day this week's been a hard week this term has been a hard term it's not been your finest moment but you have been through tough things before and you've come through them you have faced challenges before and you've come through them so I I actually think rather than telling them that this is something they need to do it's a deficit model you know you're, you're not resilient you need to do these things it's about saying well actually look the evidence says you do get up every morning. You know, when my teenager was going through really poor mental health, sometimes the only thing we could find was to say, do you know what? All right, yes, you were late for school, but you got up yeah. and you went. And that yeah. wasn't guaranteed that that was going to happen. And that was a really resilient thing to do. So rather than defining resilience as, you know, something, that ability to bounce back from big things sometimes it is just the really small stuff and pointing out they are already doing that it's tough being resilient as a teenager because you're spending your whole time questioning who you are and whether you're acceptable and being in a perpetual state I often say to parents remember remember what it was like to not be sure if it was okay to be you or who you were and and whether or not any of these thoughts were always going to be there whether you were always going to feel this way is really tough going through all of that self-doubt and questioning that teenagers go through so we need to avoid adding more judgment into that and actually really pointing out some kind of strengths-based stuff of, of where they are already and, and what they have done and have achieved. Yeah. So something something else that, again, that we, we talk about a lot with, with our parents, I just wonder, I'm interested to hear your, your thoughts and experience with this is, is the sort of importance, you know, even if the work, you do this kind of work as well, the importance of um, t a teenager's or a young person's kind of peers and friendships in their lives and what sort of role they play kind of relative to parents as you kind of move through the teenage years? Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, the peer group is everything, isn't it, for, yeah. for teenagers? It's both the source of comfort and reassurance and intense threat and, you know, an insecurity. It's it's both of those things that, at the same time. Um, parents, I think, often will say to me, but, you know, my, my teenager is hanging out with the wrong friends. Mm. You know, they're, they're with friends who aren't good for them. You know, they're getting them into trouble. We always think as parents, it's the other people's children that are getting our children into, <laughs> into trouble, not the other yeah. way around. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, but actually, it's thinking about, you know, getting them to value their friends in certain ways. So the kind of exercises you can do with them is actually just whether it's 
on a piece of paper or just in an idle conversation you know questions like you know if one of your friends was going to get you into trouble which one would it be or you know on a on a scale of, of of one to five you know how supportive is is that friend i think when we are too direct with teenagers and we ask very direct personal questions there is always the risk that their shutters come down so sometimes being a little bit indirect and talking about friendships, talking about any issue really in that indirect way that, that might be talking about you if appropriate when you were a teenager, you now, friends that you have now, issues that you're facing, who you find supports you. It might be watching a, a film together and talking about the relationships. My When my teenagers were kind of very early teens and tweens, they were obsessive about watching um, Friends, the series. I mean, literally, you know, from episode one all the way through the entire box set. And My, my and daughter was, has watched, watched that six times like my she's a tweet she's a tween she's obsessed with it so the yeah. whole series uh, yeah but but what's interesting is when as a parent you sit down and watch it with them and the conversations yeah. that you can yeah. have about friendships about they've done what they've done because you're not talking about them individually that can be a lovely kind of mm. way to talk about some of those issues so i think what we have to it's really hard you can't say to a teenager don't be friends with the, the person you're friends with because there's something that they're getting out of it but that genuine curiosity of you know what is it about that person that you really like you know which of your friends makes you laugh the most when we are curious with our teenagers and try to understand that puts us in such a better position both to influence them but also to back off and say do you know what they do get it they do know that they do understand that that friendship quite well I don't need to tell them that so asking questions first but in that in that either curious way or indirect way and and just having conversations about those things it, it, that is so valuable with a teenager rather than approaching a conversation with an agenda to tell them something you know I don't approve of your friends and I need to communicate this to you why won't you listen to me we can get very stuck in that trap well I'm not listening because you're not telling me something relevant or that I don't know or that connects with with actually where I am in life so the you know always about listening and understanding that peer group I think the other important thing because the peer group is a, a source of threat you know it's that am I fitting in am I being excluded am I being left out you know am I being laughed at whatever the the threat is as parents we have a really valuable role just to hold confidence in our teenagers and that really unconditional almost regard of them that says you know what I think you're the best thing since sliced bread I think you're mm. amazing mm. and to communicate that often and warmly and well so that they don't feel like that that threat that they are experiencing and going out into the world and the peer group is also within their their family that they they don't always feel criticized by us that we do back off and say you know what I think you're great and they might say yeah you're my mum you're bound to say that you have to say that and my teenager said that to me once you have to say that your mum I'm like you're my mum I'm like I don't have to say no. it I'm choosing <laughs> to say it because I believe it so yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> absolutely I love that though the connections are taking the wondering stance as well of you know not only to you know to, to connect with them not only to influence you know to obviously influence them but as actually also to reassure yourself like you say that where, where they're at and meeting them where they're at yeah absolutely so one, one thing that i 
I really loved about the book, honestly, is is it's just full of kind of because lots of teen, you know, lots of kind of parenting books are often, or some of them are kind of theoretical. Like you know, there's full of very kind of specific advice for specific situations, which I know us as parents or you know are, are kind of dealing with on a kind of daily basis. So two two of the things, if if I may, to ask you about that come up all the time, you know, in, in, certainly when we're talking with parents uh, of teenagers, are kind of a te teen sleep and yeah. and screen time. So I just wondered if you if you wouldn't mind sort of, you know, just commenting a little bit about kind of how, so if, if we start with teen, teen sleep, how you kind of, man, how you help and support parents with, with that particular, and teenagers with that? Well, the fact is you can't make a teenager sleep, can you? I, th I think parenting is all about recognising the limits of our power and our influence as well. You cannot make them sleep, well, not legally, without, you know, sort of sipping yeah. on drugs that <laughs> we're not allowed to do. No, no. But what we can do is create the environment and the conditions. So as a parent, when it's that kind of situation, whether it's a toddler and eating or a teenager and homework or sleeping, it's about creating the environment that is conducive to the result that you want. Mm. So that's the bit that you can control. So you can control whether or not they have a phone in their bedroom, whether or not, you know, there's a, a quiet policy at a certain time of, you know, in the evening, whether or not there's a, a an Xbox or whatever it is, a console in, in their bedroom. Those things you can control. So really thinking about what are my points of influence, you know, encouraging them to be up and out in the morning, but at the same time, thinking about what is the environment and doing that, not in a appointed way of you need to do this. Now, I, I really believe in taking a whole family approach to these things because mm -hmm. teenagers are the first ones to call us out, you know, if we're being hypocritical. So saying, right, okay, actually, there are no screens in anybody's bedrooms, including mm. mine, yeah? yeah? Or there are no screens after a certain time in the evening, those kind of things, so that we're setting them up well for sleep. We have to have a rule in our house at the moment that there is no cooking after 11 o'clock in the evening. My teenagers are a bit older now and they have this tendency to get hungry at midnight. Yeah. And you come down and the kitchen has been absolutely trashed because <laughs> they've made a Thai curry or a cake or something with, you know, in the middle of the night, seriously. Yeah, um, yeah. So, you know, having rules that control the environment to make it more likely that they will sleep. Uh, that is, what else can you do, Ben? <laughs> Well, no, it's true. There's that also. And, you know, obviously, like I'm sure you, you do as well, helping them to understand some of the kind of brain reasons that motivate them to sleep, to, to wake late and sleep late. You know, so some of that isn't, you know, their circadian rhythm isn't under their control, is it still during the, during, during yeah. the teenage years? So with screen time, so in the, you know, so obviously, as your boundaries are very, very important, aren't they? You know, in the, in the yeah. younger years, for sure. But and then as you move through the teenage years, says so how... How do you help and support parents with that? We're dealing with that, which is like top top of mind for all parents. Yeah, I, th I think, you know, it is a transition, isn't it? Because ultimately we do have to hand over control. You know, once you've got an 18, 19 year old, the, there are limits to how much you can put boundaries in place around things like screen yeah. time. Yeah. But when they're, when they're in those younger teenage years, I think there's a really good transitional kind of um, strategy strategy that you can use around kind of a, a contract to some kind of screen time contract with them. So what we're trying to do is get them to self-regulate. Mm -hmm. You know, we're trying to develop their capacity to do that, but we are not just taking you know the controls off because they're not yet able to do that but we also want them to value other activities so we often get caught up on it's the screen time that's the issue well yes 
But actually, the real issue is what are they not doing because they're on screens? You know, are they not running around, not seeing friends in real life, not doing their homework? So thinking about it in that way and saying, yeah, I get it. You enjoy gaming or, or screen time, whatever it is. And I think it's fine that you have some time to do that. However, it's my job also to make sure that you do these other things and being able to explain, you know, and collaborate and say, well, you know, these are the other things in life that are really important for your well-being, your growth, your development. And sitting down collaboratively with them and coming up with, um, you know, a, a contract that says, okay, it might be that, you know, you give them a really small allowance of tech time and they earn extra by doing sport, by doing, you know, something that you consider to be a, a valuable real world activity. And then they can use that at the weekend or something. You have parameters around it, but they are basically doing the screen time after or right. earning the extra screen time after they've done the other things which are good for happiness, good for well-being. Yeah. You could then, you know, also think about, well, what are your key points in your day? So if you've got a teenager who's doing exams, you know, it's like, so what are, I get it, you want to do some, some, some gaming, even though you've got to revise, okay, let's look at your week, your day, and let's think about some fixed points about where you have to be when, where we fit things in, how many hours does that up, up to? So, that collaborative approach that then nails it down and says, okay, so together we've come up with the best thing for you to do is this little pocket of gaming in this particular way at this particular time, I will help you stick to that. How can I help you stick to that? Because you're probably going to want to keep doing a little bit more because I know you enjoy it. So it's taking a collaborative approach, putting boundaries in place, working with them, mm. but being consistent. And then as they go through those teenagers, really allowing them more influence over it and helping them reflect on it. So if they do get it wrong, so how do you feel this morning after not having done that thing that you said you were going to? And, and, and doing that in a, in a managed way, I think. But to me, it's really about looking at the opposite side. Why do I have a problem with screen time? My problem is they're not doing anything else. So let's be clear about that, you know, with, in our conversations with them. It's not about me not liking you gaming and being with your friends. Mm. It's about me as your parent trying to help you understand that it's important to have balance and, you know, you don't have all the ingredients of balance right now so what can we do to add those back in or make sure they stay there yeah yeah so you can see there as well the importance of why you being connected with them so you can have those conversations in the first in the first place that you're talking about to to move towards self-regulation is so 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 important absolutely so um one thing that again i really i, I, I like i love about the, the approach that you sort of take is Lots of your work is, or all of your work, I think is kind of built around the sort of scientific principles or positive psychology more specifically. And just to finish up with this one, I think is that you often, you, you've referred to it yourself and it's, you know, you know, an issue that for all parents, we don't get it right all the time. You know, we, you know, we make mistakes and, you know, when you're a working parent, there's lots of those. And you have talked to before about this sort of notion of just sort of good enough parenting, you know, I just sort of wonder if you could just unpack what that you know what you mean by that and what that looks like yeah it's a phrase that gets bandied about quite a lot 
by people who seem to suggest that it just means that you don't have to be perfect. Well, yes, it kind of means that, that we don't have to be perfect. And in fact, you know, we know that trying to be a perfect parent, you know, has been shown through research to have negative effects because, Mm -hmm. you know, we we then fail and then, you know, that leads us to unhelpful behaviours. But actually good enough parenting is a little bit more nuanced than that. So good enough parenting is about failing our children in ways they can handle. Now, what that means is it's not it is okay to fail our children, not to meet every single need, not to get everything right. But we want to do that in ways that are developmentally helpful, Mm -hmm. not unhelpful. So we don't want to fail them in catastrophic ways. We want to fail them in ways that actually create a little bit of a gap between where they are now developmentally in terms of maturity and where we're failing them. So they've got spaces to grow into mm-hmm. that, you know, whether that's it would, around helping them, you know, with their emotions, you know, we don't need to take emotions away from them or fix situations from them for them. We just need to make sure that we're helping them manage situations where, you know, we can't fix things. It doesn't mean we have to get everything right. They're going to live in a world in which, you know, they'll have relationships with real people. And we are a template relationship for our children. So being able to fail, actually get it wrong and turn around and say, I got that wrong. I'm sorry, you know, to repair, to make good, to explain yourself. These are demonstrating really good interpersonal skills that we can, you know, model to them or we want them to learn from. So I think good enough parenting is a way of saying we're not as important as we think we are. I mean, that's the other thing about working parents is because we do have this kind of efficiency mindset. We do have a belief, a rather over kind of emphasis on on parents as the be all and end all. And actually, particularly with teenagers, they are going to take whatever route they will through the teenage years and some of them will take that brilliant nice straight easy route that we all want them to take and others will go down a very rocky road and our job actually is not to stop them going down that we couldn't if we if we tried quite often our job is to remain close to them and stay with them so we can influence and support and actually make sure they don't fall off the edge of that cliff and hold the faith that they will come back And that they will develop into the lovely young people that, you know, we know they're going to be more than anything we have to hold in our heads. Lovely young people, our teenagers are going to turn into and they are already inside. But even if it's not yet showing so good enough parenting to me is about saying I'm not in control. I don't have to be perfect. I need to listen, understand, have a relationship and just do my best. And if I get it wrong. I need to just try and repair that somehow if I can and learn from it so we don't keep doing the same things over and over and over again um, and creating that same situation. Um, So, yeah, in in one level, it just means we don't need to be perfect. On another Mm. level, I just think it's it's about understanding the limits of what we can do and that trying to match the limits of what we can do with where our child, our teenager is developmentally and what they need from us. Amazing. So such good, such good practical advice and support for parents. They're gonna, they're gonna absolutely love this. So, thank you so much, Anita. So I highly, um, I highly recommend uh, the work parent switch. It's written for parents of young children, but I think it's for me. It's still highly relevant for parent 
parents of teens as well. So where where can people find out more about the work that you're doing, Anita? So um, you can head to my website, which is anitaclear.co.uk. I have a, a blog on there, Thinking Parenting, um, that covers children of all ages, teenagers, sometimes personal, sometimes practical. Um, and there's also some free videos. We run free events. And obviously the book is available in all good booksellers. And multiple languages as well, I see. Indeed, five <laughs> languages. Man. Amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, so thank you so much for joining us today on the podcast. Anita. It's been really, really, really good. Oh, thanks, Ben. It's been lovely to talk to you. So thanks so much to Anita for some really important insights for working parents of teenagers. I hope today's episode with Anita Clear was helpful and I will look forward to seeing you next time.